0: What's the role of the Holy Spirit in discipleship? Well, today on the Amazing Institute for Disciple Making podcast, we're going to be joining Bo Bray as he dives deeper into the Holy Spirit's role in discipleship. Um, so we're going to jump right in tonight, let's see, specifically on, let's see what chapter number this was. Oh, you are going to sit down there. Yeah. You could Both. sit. I'm off <laughs> hey, You could sit there awkwardly and just, you know, kind of. Uh, yes, I could. You're right. That would be really, really weird. Yeah, no, it's cool. So tonight, I'm going to stand up, y'all. Sorry, it's I've been sitting. Five. I've been sitting all day. Yeah. So chapter five. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, and again, kind of another topic that I really get fired up about to talk about. Well, I mean, am I kidding? I talk about it, I get fired up about it, but so is the Holy Spirit and it's the essential role of the Holy Spirit um, <clears throat> as we seek to live our lives, to honor Jesus, right? So uh, before we dive into the Holy Spirit, because that can be a big, uh, big Pandora's box, uh, depending upon background, knowledge, things like that, uh, level of study in, in the scriptures, yep, and we passed those out, cool. Um, I, I want to make sure we're all on the same page with the Holy Spirit, so uh, kind of establish a few uh, ground rules foundational uh, theological concepts and so when I say Holy Spirit and you say Holy Spirit we mean the same thing Uh, and we can go from there. So uh, to start uh, who is a big Star Wars junkie? Is anybody a big Star Wars junkie? Okay all right so this will be easy for you science fiction nerds right. Who, Who created Star Wars? George Lucas, Lucas, right? I'm gonna ignore anybody else that didn't answer with George Lucas in the room, (laughs) because you should be ashamed. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Wasn't that Tolkien? Oh, sorry. Um, So back in uh, the year 1977, when George Lucas created Star Wars, he had this idea uh, because he was writing Star Wars, and he had to come up with this idea to. Um, do some character development and address a few character flaws. And he had this idea in 1977. Does anybody know what this amazing idea was in Star Wars that he came up with? We came up with this cool idea about this whole, uh, and it was really ingenious, and he called it The Force. That was his idea that he came up with. Uh, And man, did it work. I mean, if you've ever seen any of the Star Wars movies, you know it has become like this Thread throughout every single movie that has just become more and more and more and more and more important as they've made more movies, developed the story, introduced more characters. Um, and in in a documentary in 2000, uh, George Lucas said he created the Force specifically to quote awaken a certain kind of spirituality in people. Because he wrote it like targeting younger audiences. That was his goal. So he's like, I want to target younger audiences and awaken that spirituality in them. And I mean, <clears throat> that, that's, that's a great idea, right? I mean, like myself, George Lucas was raised in the Methodist church, right? So he, he kind of founded this non-denominational kind of generic religious new age thought about, okay, how can I point people to something more spiritual, Right. Uh, and so that's what he came up with. And if you're unfamiliar with this whole concept of the force in, uh, in the movies, it's this whole idea of, all right, if you fight for the light, right, you're on, you're on the, if you fight for good, you're on the light side. If you fight for evil, you're on the, side. exactly. And your name is clearly Darth Vader, right? I mean, that's, that's who you are. Kylo Ren, whoever, right? So, um, and these two things are constantly pitted against each other. So it's the force that constantly pits them against each other and, and has the friction there. So uh, I bring that up to say this. So uh, this idea of the force, this, this ethereal idea of something controlling good versus evil is how some people view the Holy Spirit. They view it as this idea, this concept, um, this construct and I, spoiler alert, if you're here and you believe that about the Holy Spirit, you're wrong. So just I want to make sure we're on the same page. So <clears throat> let's dive in more into that. But before we start with the Holy Spirit, what do we have to start with? The Trinity. You have to start with the Trinity before you can understand the Holy Spirit, right? So a couple of foundational statements. And if you've ever read Systematic Theologies before, I borrowed this one from Grudem. So a couple of statements just so we're all on the same page and saying the same thing. So here's a statement about the Trinity that I'm assuming that we all believe, okay? So three statements. Number one, God is three persons. Second, each person is fully God. And third, there's one God, right? So I'm assuming all of us believe those three foundational statements about the Trinity uh, and that they're also true at the same time. So not that you, you just believe them independently, but that they're true continuously and simultaneously. All right, and additionally, um, think about the Trinity. What is the Trinity comprised of? Trinity is comprised of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? So kind of back to how some people can incorrectly view the Holy Spirit, God did not make God the, God, or it, I'm sorry, the Trinity is not comprised of God the Father, God the Son, and God the spooky spirit. That, that's, not, that's not it, it's the, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is actually a person. Uh, There are pronouns assigned to the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture. Uh, Fascinatingly enough, most of the time, uh, the the pronoun is uh, neutral. Uh, But every time Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit, He assigns a male pronoun to it. It's very, very, very interesting stuff. Um, I I learned that as I was studying for this. I was like, I didn't even know that. So, yep, there you go. There you go. Something uh, new every day. So, um, before we move on, a couple more things about the Holy Spirit to make sure that we're um, all working on from the, the same playbook here. I want to show you a little quick video about the Holy Spirit, and we'll keep going. So it's really quick. It's only about four minutes. So shouldn't be shouldn't be that long. So here you go. All right. So that's kind of a primer, if you will, on, on the Holy Spirit and the person and the work of the Spirit. So I thought that was kind of a good explanation to kind of get your, your mind and your heart in, in the right spot for understanding for what we're talking about here. Uh, so it, I also, I want us to have kind of the, this working definition here of the purpose of the Holy Spirit, because I talked a lot about what the Holy Spirit has done uh, in Scripture. A lot of the examples, the stories in the Bible that we that we read and know and are familiar with. But I want to make sure that we're understanding of the overall idea and the point of the Spirit. Um, this is not to box us into anything specifically, but this is kind of to give us the same, again, working definition. So uh, so the the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world and especially in the church. I don't think I made that one of the blanks on your paper, but I, I, I'll say it again just to make sure I'm clear. So the, the purpose of the work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the active presence of God in the world, and especially in the church. So if we if we believe that to be true, I think that uh, most of the time we all fall prey uh, to not crediting the Holy Spirit, paying attention to the Holy Spirit, acknowledging the Holy Spirit for what the Holy Spirit really actually does. Uh, I, I stumbled across something yesterday uh, in God's providence as I was... <laughs> kind of studying for today and uh, <clears throat> looking over all, all the material, reading a couple of things in the book. And, and it was this, uh, it was a meme, actually. It's something really, really deep and transformational. Uh, and it was, uh, it says, people ask me, do I need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? And the response was, bro, you need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> that's hilarious. Because if you've been to Walmart and Winder, I mean... Anyway, so it's hilarious, but it's true. The point of the Holy Spirit doesn't allow us to do one thing. The Holy Spirit allows us to do everything. So, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, let's jump over there really, really quick. I want us to look at that for a second. All right, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, it says this uh, it says, For in one spirit, Uh, We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. So, conclusion from that scripture people who truly follow Jesus have been, quote, baptized in the Holy Spirit and are, uh, to use different language, indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So that means that the Spirit lives within us. It indwells us, and it guides us, directs us. Uh, and just like most things, like I was mentioning a minute ago, uh, we consistently ignore the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm guilty of this. I'm sure all of you are as well. Uh, that's why we have books written about this topic, such as the the um, very popular book, Forgotten God, right? because it, we, we neglect the power and presence of the Holy Spirit at times. So, uh, And this is your first blank right here if you're going to jot this down. So as Christians, we often fail to rely on the Holy Spirit when it comes to discipleship specifically. And that is, uh, I'll say, a grave error as we seek to follow and honor Christ. Uh, so ponder this for a moment. How, how many times do you actually... Ask the Holy Spirit for affirmation, for guidance, for direction, for comfort, for for power, uh, for strength. How many times do you actually do that? Do you consistently rely upon the power and the presence of the Spirit? Maybe maybe you do, and maybe that you know you're, you're the kind of disciple that you know does not neglect the power of the Spirit, but maybe you're not as well. Uh, so, uh, to show this, uh, someone find Romans one twenty one. For me, really quick, I'm gonna get one of you to read that here in just a second uh, to kind of illustrate this point. But while you're looking uh, for that, uh, please understand that this is a, I'll say, a foundational concept for a disciple of Jesus to know and believe uh, the Holy Spirit that He enables us to believe the gospel. Right? I mean this is, this is foundational for us. If we don't understand that and, and truly believe that with our heart, uh, then that really doesn't leave much room for gospel transformation, right? Uh, if we really don't believe that the Holy Spirit has the power to change us, I mean there's not much gospel transformation going on <laughs> in your neck of the woods. Uh, so go ahead and read Romans 121 for me, somebody. Anybody? Not all at once. Ooh, uh, uh. it's not the elect standard version. Mm. Mm. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Go ahead, please. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. No, that's great. And so that, that scripture clearly shows here that it's not just enough to acknowledge God to become like God. I'll say that again. It's not enough to acknowledge God, to become like God. We've talked about this before in week two specifically. An intellectual assent to a truth is not enough. That's not enough. A pure acknowledgement of truth does not equate to gospel transformation. It doesn't. If you want to become like God, like sanctification, you must constantly rely on God. So, if you're going to be made into the image of Jesus, well, then guess what? You have to rely on the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to do so. Uh, That means if you're going to be a disciple that lives out gospel holiness, like Dotson talks about here uh, in this chapter specifically, uh, that is completely impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. It's impossible. So if we're going to, and this is, I think, another blank for you. So if we're going to be a disciple who lives out gospel holiness, um, that is completely impossible apart from the Holy Spirit. Translation, no Holy Spirit, no gospel holiness. It's impossible. So without the Spirit, what do you get? You get a person that might appear moral um, on the outside. You might try to live a really good life. Uh, you might do your best, but without the Spirit, I feel, I, I believe you don't have true discipleship to truly be transformed into the image of Christ. And you can rely on your own power, but you won't rely on God's power, right? All right, so how in the world does the Spirit cause you to be a disciple? And there's two different ways. Again, more blanks here. And I want to talk about both of these. So here are the two ways, through his presence and through his power. I tried to leave enough room so you could jot some notes down on presence and power, because I want to talk about each one of those individually. All right, so uh, presence, presence of the Holy Spirit. Let's start there. So I said it again, uh, or I said it a minute ago, I'll say it again. You can only have the, Holy, the presence of the Holy Spirit if you are a Christian, right? Uh, and the Holy Spirit, he will dwell within you uh, if he has drawn you to Jesus and you've trusted him and to use Je- Jesus' language uh, that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean, right? I've heard that phrase. Maybe you have some association with it, don't know what it means. Uh, let me try to boil it down and make it easy. Uh, ba- being baptized in the Holy Spirit uh, means that as a follower of Christ, you've been immersed into the life of the Spirit, uh, <clears throat> that you're constantly trusting on relying on depending upon the Holy Spirit to guide you direct you Uh, so and and in this uh, I want to make sure that I call this out too because I think this is is, uh, extremely important and I mentioned this during week one uh, in a different context and I'll mention it again here Uh, you do not need um, a theology degree you don't need more classes to learn how to be a better disciple you don't need more discipleship books to read to be a disciple right uh, now our theology degrees and uh, discipleship classes just like this that's why we're here in books about discipleship a great thing yes of course they are they're a means of grace that the lord has given us uh, to know him deeper of, of course they are but let me say it this way the holy spirit is all that you need To be a disciple of jesus christ that's it so the holy spirit dwelling in you is what you need the most that's it so that was the presence of the holy spirit but what about the power of the holy spirit right and so the the power of the holy spirit let's talk about that for a minute what what is the power of the holy spirit well first off it's just that it's powerful right and again i I know so many people uh, who follow Christ and they would agree with a statement like, um, well, if uh, the Holy Spirit uh, lives within me, I'm probably not going to notice much difference in my life. I know plenty of people who would probably agree with that statement. But if the Holy Spirit claims to be powerful, can that be true? No, it shouldn't be. If the Holy Spirit really does live within us and we are constantly trusting and relying on on the presence and the power of the Spirit, then then the power is going to change you. It's going to actually have a deep impact on your life. It will mean that your life does look different as you follow Christ. So uh, if that is you, I, I don't know, maybe some of you are subconsciously believing that. I don't know. Repent. Turn to the Lord, ask God for forgiveness, to ask him to give you the power of the Holy Spirit in your life so that you can see it work deeper and change your life even more than God already has. Uh, So the power of the Spirit, it drives us towards discipleship by dwelling in you as a Christian and the power of the Spirit motivates you to obey Jesus' commands, So jot jot this uh, scripture down for your own study here. And that's Titus 3, 5 through 8. Um, If if you want to see that being lived out specifically about how the power of the Spirit motivates disciples to do good works for the Lord. So I I would highly recommend you go spend time studying that. Another scripture to jot down, keep your pen handy, write this one down, and we're going to talk about this one, is Galatians 5.25. Galatians 5.25. And let me read that for us really quick here. Galatians 5.25 says that if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So as a disciple, we should keep in step with the Holy Spirit, right? Some translations uh, say that we should uh, walk by the Spirit. Uh, And so if we believe that we have the presence of um, and the power of the Spirit, what does it then look like here to really depend on them? What, how, how does that work? Right, okay, Bo, I, I believe that Holy Spirit dwells within me. I believe He's powerful and He can actually change my life. But how, how do I practically rely on Him? What do I do to see Him work in me and change me? And uh, we're going to pause and I'm going to tell you next after we do, we do our discussion questions. So I want to stop right here for a second. You've got your discussion questions. Um, there are three Uh, let's see here, do all three of them, split off into some small groups, we've got time, we got time, uh, so do all three of them, and yeah, three, two, one, go. Alright, so we're talking about how we practically walk by the Spirit a minute ago, so <clears throat> walking by the Spirit, specifically, it means that it's trusting in the Spirit, or it's depending on the Spirit to guide you. In all aspects of life, I'll say it again. Walking by the Spirit is trusting in the Spirit or depending upon the Spirit to guide you in all aspects of life. So, to boil this down a little bit more, so there's two key areas uh, that, that Dodson references, and I'll, I'll talk about those here in a second, that I, I wanna look at a little bit more in depth about how the Spirit uses His power to guide you in your life. All right, so there, here's the first area, next blank first area is decision-making, the decisions that you make. So we see the Spirit constantly uh, guiding people's decisions in Scriptures. Uh, Jesus and others constantly relied upon uh, the Spirit to guide them. In, uh, let's see, in Luke 4, right? the Spirit guided Jesus into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. Uh, in Acts 10, um, if you're jotting all these down, great. Uh, the Spirit guides Peter to a specific person's home. In Acts 16, the Spirit uh, guides Paul not to go to a particular town. So when we're walking by the Spirit, that means uh, that we are constantly making decisions seeking what God wants us to do, not what we want to do. All right, and this this is just like more than a single moral decision that we face or like a single, ah, should I go to McDonald's or Chick fil A? he uh, heathen don't go to mcdonald's go to chipotle and, yeah, i mean so it's it's more than just that it's like it's this overarching constant varying theme in your life that you are always reliant upon the spirit for all of your decisions oh god who do i marry uh do i get married do i not get married do i have kids do i not have kids how many kids do i have do i take this job do i move to this town do i do this do i do that Right? It's more than just, ah, uh, should I go to this one single little? It's more than that um, about relying upon your decision-making process, I'll say. So ultimately, that means that you don't rely on your Gmail calendar or your Outlook calendar to make decisions for your life. That's really what it boils down to. And it boils down to the fact that you are ultimately relying on God to tell you what your schedule should look like. All right, so Dotson has this this quote here. uh, I'll I'll read it to you. It's over on page 93, just FYI, that I thought applied here. And it says this about how the Spirit impacts our decision-making. He says, What if you began to expect unplanned change and interpret it as an opportunity to rely on the Spirit? Obstacles, challenges, and trials, they would take on a very different meaning. Instead of becoming inconveniences and injustices, unplanned change could become an opportunity to rely on the Spirit to discern God's will and purpose in our circumstance. So that's how the Spirit should influence your decision-making, your decision-making processes. It's also how you prioritize how you make your decisions, right? So like ultimately you're looking at when you weigh a decision in your mind, well, what's more important to God? I, I know what's probably what's more important to me, but what's most important to God is does that line up with what's important to me? Or rather, do what I prioritize. Is that what's important to God? All right, so that's the first area is decision-making, uh, practically. The second area is this, overcoming temptation. That's the second one, overcoming temptation. The Spirit empowers you to overcome temptation. Galatians 5.16, uh, I was only going to read 5.16 Man, i got to read all of this. Sorry. Not really. I'm I'm not apologizing for reading Scripture. So Galatians 5.16, and I'm going to go all the way down through 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And here's that verse we read a minute ago. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So again, the way that we overcome temptation is to walk by or rely upon the Holy Spirit. So ultimately, what is it? What does it look like for us to walk by the Spirit? And I'll say it this way. Ultimately, it looks like us clinging to the promises of God. That's what it means. Uh, And that phrase, clinging to the promises of God, uh, another quiz question. Being like Pastor Brown here. So another quiz question. What is another way to say I am clinging to the promises of God? That's another way to say that. Yes. Any other other ways to say it? What? Obedience. Obedience. Another way to say it would be you're practically believing the gospel. So when you see, anytime you read in the Old Testament that someone was clinging to the promises of God, that's another way to say that essentially they're believing the gospel. So here, to walk by the Spirit means that you are constantly reminding yourself preaching the gospel to yourself. You're reminding yourself of the gospel. You are dependent upon the gospel always. So the way that you fight temptation, you walk by the Spirit in in that scenario. You walk by the Spirit by preaching the gospel to yourself. So again, we walk by the Spirit to fight temptation and in turn, the Holy Spirit then empowers us to fight it. It's, man, Talk about tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. We depend upon the Holy Spirit, and then He enables us to overcome and fight temptation. So think about Luke 4, when Jesus was in the wilderness, right? <clears throat> he was tempted by the devil. What happened, right? He responded to Satan, specifically with three different scriptures, right? He, what, Deuteronomy 8, 3, 6, 16, and six thirteen. right? So he didn't just quote any random scriptures. He quoted specific scriptures. He quoted scriptures that were promises of God, to overcome temptation. So Jesus literally believing the good news himself to fight the enemy. Uh, Dotson had this to say, because he talked about this scenario in, in this chapter as well. Uh, and he says, uh, he says this about Jesus being tempted in Luke 4. He said, Jesus followed the leading of the Spirit, relied on His power, and trusted in the promises of God. Right? So the Spirit is what allowed Jesus to see what was true and what was a lie. So, just like Jesus in in Luke 4, right, the same applies and can be true of us. The Spirit empowers us as disciples as we fight against temptation, right? We fight the good fight. We talked about that before. The Holy Spirit is what allows us and empowers us to fight the fight of faith so that we can overcome temptation. All right, a couple more uh, things that we need to know. In order for us to actually be motivated by, the Spirit, you have to actually know the Spirit. And this is a little bit different. This is a little nuanced than what we were talking about before than just the presence of the Holy Spirit, right? This this is different. Why is this different? Well, just because someone lives in your house doesn't mean that you actually know them deeply, right? They can be with you and present, but that doesn't mean you actually know them well. You can have a roommate and have no idea about their life. Same is true. You can, you can, it's completely possible for you to know facts about the Holy Spirit and not actually know the Spirit. All right, so when it comes to knowing the, uh, knowing the Spirit, Dotson gave this uh, great example here of the book, that he, what he learned from uh, Dr. Richard Lovelace. I personally love this story because right when I read this story, I don't know if you all read it. I'll, I'll recap here in a minute. But I, after I read the story, I was like, oh, my gosh. Guilty. I need to repent. So I, I, I started putting into practice what he did. And so, if you haven't read the story, uh, he met with Doctor Lovelace, and Doctor Lovelace made it a point to commune with the Holy Spirit consistently, so much so that he would pray to each member of the Trinity throughout the day. So in the morning he would pray to God the Father, in the afternoon he would pray to the Holy Spirit, and in the evening he would pray to the Son, he would pray to Jesus. Uh, So uh, that's a great practical example, at least it has been in my own life, uh, that we can certainly model here if you struggle to actually know the Holy Spirit. And so praying to the Spirit, it will actually... The Spirit empowers you when you pray to the Spirit to form a bond with Him. It's crazy to think about. Uh, and it allows us to know Him more. So praying to the Spirit actually does help you overcome temptation, right? And if you're wondering, no, it's not heretical to pray to the Spirit, right? I mean, I've actually talked about this with some people. They're like, oh, is that okay? Yeah, yes, He's God. Remember those facts that we talked about before? Those truths about the Spirit? He's God, right? I mean, it's not, it's, it's not like... There's, you know, God the Father and God the Son and they're on like the varsity God squad and Holy Spirit's JV. That, that, that's not, that's not this. He, he uh, the Holy Spirit is God. Um, and remember this flow I gave you a few weeks ago. Uh, and I want to say it again. So we pursue the Spirit. The Spirit then points you to Jesus. And then Jesus turns right back around and points you to God the Father. So it's... So praying to the Spirit, um, but what? uh, so that's you talking to the Spirit, right? But what about you listening and being sensitive to the Spirit's promptings, right? Because that's a whole other dynamic here that we haven't talked about much. Uh, So we've already established that you can't listen to someone that you don't commune with, right? It's impossible. So that's a necessity. And the inverse is also true. And this is your next blank here. If we consistently commune with the Spirit, that makes us more likely to hear him clearly and to sense those promptings. So if we consistently commune with the Spirit, that makes us more likely to hear him clearly and sense those promptings. Adata makes a general, or I'm sorry, a sweeping generalization uh, in his book uh, on page 99 uh, about this very topic based on his own life, what he's seen in other people's lives, his own experiences. And I have to say, I, I tend to agree with him on, on his kind of conclusion that he draws here, and he says most of the time uh, that belie- he believes the power of the Spirit is displayed in a subtle manner instead of a showy manner. So it's not dramatic, if you will. And I I think that's true based on what I I see in Scripture as well. And I I compare that with my own experiences in my own life as I seek to follow the Lord, right? I I tend to believe this to be true. And even I think Scripture kind of lines up with this. If you think back in the story in 1 Kings 19, um, the story of Elijah comes to mind. Um, The Lord comes to Elijah. How? How? Right? He doesn't come to him in a strong wind. He doesn't come to him in an earthquake or a fire, but rather comes to him in the sound of a low whisper. Um, and that's, that's the medium that is not dramatic, um, but rather the message here. Do you remember what happened in that story when, when, the Spirit came, when the Lord came to him in that low whisper? Do you remember? Any idea? It guided Elijah in making decisions. It guided him. It prompted him. It showed him what? He should do to honor the Lord. And more specifically, the, that low whisper of the Lord, it, uh, it prompted him to go to the wilderness of Damascus and to take certain actions when he was there. So just as the Spirit empowered and guided Elijah, the Spirit guides, guides and directs us as disciples. So that being said, I wanted to issue one caution warning on this too. We've got to be careful here when we talk about this, uh, with what we consider to be the Spirit prompting us, because, again, we can mess this up really fast, right? There, there can be times that you attribute things to the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit's like, I didn't have anything to do with that. <laughs> that wasn't me. That was your bad pizza that you ate last night. That had nothing to do with me. We can mess this up real fast. So let's be really, really careful here, because we can incorrectly assume sometimes that the Spirit is our, is our conscience. That's not true. Um, that, that Those are not synonymous. Uh, we, can mi- we can also mistake rational options for God's guidance. I was joking a minute ago about McDonald's Chick-fil-A. It's not like, oh man, spicy chicken sandwich or deluxe. Ooh, clearly the Spirit's guiding me to the regular with honey rest, Like No, I, th- those rational decisions does not equate to guidance of the Holy Spirit. All right, so, and conversely, we can also take... Guiding the Holy Spirit, guiding us, and we can rationalize it away, right? Have you ever been in a scenario where the Lord is clearly calling you to share the gospel with someone, and you're like, mm, mm, ah, ee, I'm too busy, or whatever? And you're like, Yeah, that's not that, that, that was not the Lord when you just actually rationalized the Holy Spirit guiding you away, is what you did. So let's be careful of that. So Um, when you're in that scenario, by the way, ask the Spirit for guidance and direction. Mm -hmm. If you're ever in a a scenario like, God, is this this you? Should I follow this? Should I do A, B, C? Whatever it is, give me guidance, give me clarity, Lord. I'm dependent upon you here. All right, so let me sum all this up and land this plane here. All right, so let, let me leave you with this final statement. I'll make this. All right, so if you're a Christian, the only way that you become one and you remain one is because of the Holy Spirit. That's the message I want you to take away from tonight, specifically as it relates to being a disciple of Christ. The only way that you are a Christian and the only way that you remain a Christian is because of the Holy Spirit. That's it. You contribute nothing to this process. The Holy Spirit, he is the person that draws you to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that allowed you to repent and believe the gospel in the first place. It's the Holy Spirit that opened your eyes to the gospel in the first place. And the Holy Spirit is the one that keeps you a Christian forever and ever until you die and see the Lord in his glory. So you see, the Holy Spirit empowers us by his presence to drive us with his power. So I hope all that made sense. Um. And I, I will talk to you about the questions here in a little bit. But before we do that, I'm going to let you finish discussing these terrible questions that I wrote. Uh, so let's see. What time is it? Uh, so 50. So do, um, do one and two. Do one and two. You can skip number three right now. Yes. Okay. What's up? So, so if I pray to God, I feel like I'm praying to God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I don't understand necessarily like separating them Mm -hmm. praying It does. It does. Because I think a lot of times, in my comment that I made specifically about praying to the Spirit, I think a lot of times people don't actually functionally believe that. They segment in their minds like, I'm praying to God, so therefore I'm praying to God the Father, and it's got nothing to do with Jesus or the Holy Spirit. So that's kind of really what my comment was centered around, too, um, is like fighting that temptation to have that attitude that you're displaying and say, no, I'm actually praying to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all at once. So, yeah. yeah. Not a good question. Good distinction. Well, and I, th- and I think, too, one, just to add to it, like, you know, we talked a lot in week two about beholding God and, and the, the bigness of our view of God will posture our heart into a right place of worship as we follow Him. And I think when you, God the Holy Spirit is usually who we forget. We re- remember God the Redeemer, Christ, who came for us. We remember God the Father, you know, like, big God on his throne and all that kind of stuff, but the Holy Spirit, the personal God who fills us and who's with us in this moment, who's in, inside of us and blowing us, we would forget that he's with us, leading us, and he's prompting us, he's guiding us. So I think as you pray, it just helps you to behold the different characteristics of God that we see yeah. in this scripture too.